Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Since its launch, tens of thousands of Muslims have given zakat through NZF. We're the only platform with a national reach enabling you to give zakat to those who need it here. Across the country, Muslims are in need. Your zakat has the potential to change their lives. Just go to www.nzf.org.uk to calculate your zakat, choose how it's used, and keep updated about the impact it's having on the lives of Muslims where you live. NZF. Give zakat here. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Millionaire Muslim Podcast. Mohsin, how are we doing? Assalamu alaikum everyone. All is well. We want to start with a story. So once upon a time, there was in a land far, far away, many hundred years ago, when you didn't have Teslas and warm combi boilers. We, I mean, I don't actually have one right now because the boiler's broken, but... But the point still stands. The point still stands. So we've got... A man who has some gold, he buys some gold, he really likes it, he puts it in his mud hut and he goes to sleep. The next morning he wakes up and the gold is missing. The man is really, really upset. But his wife loves gold and so he needs to buy her some more gold. So he goes and he works really hard, he buys her some more gold. This time he's like, I'm not going to keep it in my house because thieves are around and they're going to nick it off me. But there's a guy over there who's got a massive moat around his castle and he's a really trustworthy guy so i'll give it to him is he gujarati <laughs> he's, he's a gujarati <laughs> we're in gujarat and uh, he gives it to the uh, to the guji called uh dawood patel yeah. so he gives it to dawood patel and dawood patel says all right that's no problem at all um charge you a fiver for that uh, for some reason they had fivers in those <laughs> five rupees yeah five rupees he charges you five rupees and he's like, oh that's really cheap that's really kind of you as well to he's like no worries at all i've got a massive basement i'll keep it safe there i've got a couple of guard dogs and a couple of men as well who guard everything um he just you know he happened to have this stuff and then over time people hear about this and he's like you know the his neighbor asks oh you your gold got stolen he's like it's not going to happen again it's with Dawood Patel. Word of mouth marketing. I know. And so Dawood Patel gets more customers. And uh, soon his basement is uh, getting fairly full with, with gold. But there's about 20 or 30 villagers who, who've paid five years uh, recurring revenue, you know, subscription model for, you know, an annual subscription, five rupees per person. Let's say there's 20 of them. So what's that? 100 rupees for the year. And so, and Dawood is slowly they realize that Dawood is actually becoming really, really rich and they can't work it out. They're like, we give, gave him some gold for, and he's charged us five rupees and we'd expect him to like, you know, live a standard of life worth a hundred rupees, but he's li- living a standard of life worth like a thousand rupees. HMRC will be straight on it. I know. And do you know what the secret was, Mohsin? 
Well, I do, but I don't want to spoil your thunder. <laughs> so the secret was that there was an unexpected revenue source wow. that Dawood Patel, the Guji, had tapped into. And that revenue source was that... So Dawood Patel was running the business of a bank. So he was taking that gold because he'd sussed out that no one actually re- retrieved it very often. And gold just looks all the same. So he was lending it out and making money on interest. He wasn't a Muslim. He wasn't a practicing Muslim. Yeah, he wasn't a practicing Muslim. And Dawood Patel was making an absolute killing on the interest, as well as charging these guys a subscription fee for storing the gold. And there we have an unexpected revenue model. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And why are we going to talk about that? Because unexpected revenue models are around us everywhere. And they can add a lot of value to your own business. And they kind of help you see how you can take what you thought was a straightforward business model and actually add a whole bunch of extra uh, firepower to it and take it to the next level. Indeed. And the reason that we're really keen on doing this podcast is because we get a bunch of people offline, online, and anywhere in between uh, in line (laughs) in line (laughs) asking us for you know startup advice and funding and all this fun stuff but actually what we're not seeing very much of especially rather tragically in the muslim community is really strong innovation so what we were thinking is we want to illustrate today in this podcast a bunch of ways and a bunch of businesses that are making money through interesting and or unexpected revenue streams and we have thought about four but there are loads and loads and loads that you can think of and there's a really good resource which you should check out at the end of this podcast not now because that's just distracting and it's called businessmodelnavigator.com so if you go to businessmodelnavigator.com it's got a whole list of types of revenue streams that a business can earn money from as well as like use cases and you know descriptions and stuff like that in particular if you're somebody that's starting a business or you've got an existing business and you're trying to think you know you're trying to crack this revenue nut have a visit of that website and approach it with a very very open mind look at each one with an open mind and just think could i mold my business to this particular revenue stream And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by what you come up with. And if nothing else, it'll spark a few ideas probably as well. So let's jump in to the four ideas. The first one that we were thinking about was the freemium model. So why don't you go ahead and explain? So the freemium model is something like Dropbox or OneDrive or Musmatch, Musmatch, um, yeah. or various different kinds of apps where you can get things going uh, for free and use a certain amount of usage or a certain amount of time, a certain amount of data, wh- whatever the app is selling for um, for free. But then after a while, if you want to become a high kind of usage customer or you want extra, you know, bells and whistles, that's where you start paying for it. And it's a really successful model. And people often use OneDrive and Dropbox and Box.com without paying a penny for years and years and years. And what they don't realize is that this is a heavily um, you know, revenue generating model for these guys. 
and really you're being subsidized by the big businesses or the big you know film producers who are using this service to store their big data and their revenues are the thing that actually subsidize the whole thing Absolutely. so what's what's next on the agenda next on the agenda is just a point on freemium actually the reason that it's successful is because there's this concept in business of you know think about how difficult it is to get somebody to use or buy your thing like that's such a difficult transaction such a difficult thing to ask them to do so what you're trying to do is reduce any barriers that might exist between your customer or your potential customer and you and the freemium model is a great way of doing that because what you're saying is you know download this or go to this website and just start using it it's on us and it's a bit like you know in old money terms it's a bit like the mitai shop giving you some mitai to try out or something because they know that you know probably six or seven times out of ten if they ply you with enough stuff you're probably going to end up yeah. buying it. So it's all about frictions. When it comes to your business... It doesn't work in a Gucci area, that. <laughs> definitely doesn't. But, you know, have a think about your business. Are you putting up barriers between you and your customer uh, or are you taking them down? And have a think about that really objectively. The second thing that uh, we want to talk about in terms of revenue models was selling or using data. And this has really come about, I guess, in the last few years or so, where the idea of data as a commodity has really risen. And you've got businesses now that are very successfully using literally just data as their monetization. Uh, the one that springs to mind and I use this this example quite often, to be honest, is Money Dashboard. So Money Dashboard, like a personal finance app where you can budget your stuff through them, they're quite public about saying that, you know, we're free and we're free to use because what we're actually doing is monetizing the data that we're getting on the back end. Because you can imagine that all these people that they've got using the app, they've got really, really interesting information that they can sell. So they've got people's ages their spending habits according to their age spending habits according to location all this kind of stuff like there's so much data that they can glean that would be extremely extremely useful for people uh, for businesses and many businesses will be willing to pay good money for this data and in the meantime the actual user who are people like you and me we don't pay a penny for this service, but we are paying for it in an indirect way, which is our data. Personally, I don't mind. Um, you know, Money Dashboard are quite explicit about how they make money. They tell us that it's completely anonymized. It's not done on a names basis or anything like that. It's just kind of amalgamated data. And, you know, frankly, if I'm a figure in a, amongst a bunch of figures, then so be it. Having said that, I don't actually use Money Dashboard. So. Neither do I. But that's how they make money and they're quite open about it. And I guess the other interesting example is somebody like Amazon when it comes to data. I was reading a BBC article on this today. I think there's like there was one of those like long articles that the BBC do every so often that came out today, which is the eighteenth of February. And they were twenty twenty. Twenty twenty indeed. This this podcast will be listened to in like twenty years. That's time. true. Eight yeah, that's very true. So we we are today the eighteenth of February twenty twenty. And um yeah, so this article, what it was saying was that Jeff Bezos, who's the founder of Amazon, he was 
I guess, like one of the first people to really think about data as a commodity. And he was analyzing people's click streams and their, you know, just like really analyzing what people did on the website to basically predict behavior and patterns and all that kind of stuff. And this article was saying that what surprised Amazon was that people are on the whole, like really predictable, even for their unexpected purchases and things like that. So apparently they can predict what unexpected purchase you or I will make in say three months time. And that then allows them to control their stock levels of this particular item and things like that. And for a business, that's really, really important because what that means is that when we're making, you know, Amazon serves millions and millions of customers. And if they get millions and millions of orders of a particular unexpected item, that can be very bad because they might not have enough stock. And if they need to get stock desperately, they might end up overpaying uh, and all that kind of stuff. So what the analysis of data allows Amazon to do is, you know, this is just one small example. They're probably doing all kinds of weird and wonderful things with our data. But one thing that this article was saying is it allows them to predict unexpected purchases that we will make and therefore control the stock levels and things like that. So I thought that was really, really interesting. So again, have a think about your business. Like, what are you doing with all this useful data that you're gathering? You know, you shouldn't be doing anything unethical with it, of course. But how can you extrapolate the data that you've got to better serve your customers to target them with more products that are relevant and things like that yeah it's re- really interesting and i think this the article the, the bit i was reading was how this guy he had alexa in his house and how amazon knows exactly what music he's been playing what times he's been playing it and you know if you can make music some kind of proxy of how a person's feeling and what they're thinking about which I'm sure they can do at a big data level. Like if someone, you know, he was saying that on an evening, you know, where he's with his wife, he might play a certain kind of music or but during the day he'll play a different kind of music or when he might be, I don't know, sad or something, you, you'll see trends there. And Amazon can use the literally millions and millions of people who use them to come up with that reference point. And then that data, that reference point about what music is being played can very easily then translate to you know the points in the day when you log on to Amazon what are they presenting you with the options to buy and sell wow that could be interesting and I'm sure there's so much more there's just loads and like frankly stuff we probably we can't even comprehend yeah and I think on the logistics side as well because Amazon let's not forget is actually at heart a really successful logistics business yeah because that's what it's achieved um, you know really low cost on mm. and um giving it all this data about returns and where exactly you are and all this sort of thing can really help with um, working out the most efficient way of doing delivery. But on to the next one. So the next one is interesting. It's the story that we told at the start. It's about lending out money. So banks, obviously, they don't charge you, generally speaking, for having an account with them. And they still make a tremendous amount of money because they lend out that money in the background. And if it's an Islamic bank, then they will, instead of lending out that money, they will be giving out that money as some kind of, they will be investing that money in an Islamic mortgage and then giving you a profit return as a share of that. Also, digital challenger banks, they're the same. So, like, you know, Monzo and Revolut and all these guys, they don't charge you up front for using their service, but they still make money from 
your they, I mean frankly they also make money from your data yeah. but they also make money from creating a kind of platform and a kind of network and getting other people in who will sell you their services and for the opportunity of selling you services these guys will pay Monzo to be on there and they will also for every successful transaction that you do on these other services Monzo will get a kickback and so that's kind of how they succeed it's really interesting these kind of network and platform businesses do really well by um, sometimes not charging one side anything but charging the other side all of the money yeah absolutely and that in itself is an interesting business model as well so we're moving now on to the fourth business model i guess which is where you get this kind of unequal charging essentially so you line up your i guess your ecosystem in in the whole trans if you think about the transaction as a pipeline and you line up all the different players in that pipeline and you say right who is the person that can most absorb you know this cost yeah Um, who is the one that can most reliably and feasibly pay this thing so for example with credit cards you know, it doesn't cost me or you to have a credit card. We're quite happy to put our big ticket items on a credit card. Well, that's at least what I do just for the protection. And I don't get charged for that. But where people are making money or particularly where, you know, Visa or MasterCard or whoever it is are making money is that they charge the merchant, i.e. the seller, a certain fee. And you'll have seen this when you've tried to book flights with like EasyJet or whoever because they they don't want to absorb that cost because they understand that there's a cost to their margins of having to pay all these credit card fees so what they try to do is they try to pass on that credit card fee onto you and if you're anything like me you don't like that so you just end up paying with your debit card or whatever the free option is Um, but these business models are quite interesting because what they do is they identify the key players in a transaction who can actually readily absorb that cost because all that all that happens in reality i mean we do pay for it but it's indirect so all that happens in reality is that the seller will absorb all of these costs into their margin and when they're pricing a product they'll just say right these are our costs in this transaction we need to make this margin from it this is what we're going to charge the end user and you know what like frankly as a customer i'm fine with that and you know this like one of my pet hates is that i hate 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 seeing delivery costs added at the end of a (laughs) at the end of a basket when uh, i'm checking out online but weirdly just hit me with an inflated price at the top and you'd be fine with it because i'd be fine with it so it's just a weird mindset of a consumer and by the way like i'm not alone in that there's like a lot of data behind putting free delivery as an option that's why ebay for example really strongly encourages people to put free delivery as a seller because they know that buyers much prefer that mindset of free delivery even if they are paying two to three quid extra um, on the product price so it's actually all the same anyway but yeah that's an interesting business model of identifying the key players in your pipeline and charging them something absolutely i was thinking about this whole you know trying to build out your revenue streams and a really classic way of doing this is by thinking about what are the two kind of ends of your supply chain so typically what you'll be doing is taking something whether it be a thing or an idea or you know something from one side and giving it to the other 
So if you're like selling, I don't know, toys, you'd be taking it from the suppliers and selling it to the end user. And typically you make money from the end user and you give money to the supplier. But maybe there's a way of giving something back to the supplier that you are seeing from the end user, which they don't necessarily have, which could be data. And it could give them a kind of advance notice on what they should be producing. Um, I'm also thinking about platforms like Shopify. So Shopify, I think this year was Incredible it? business. I mean, recently they have now gone to the point where the people on that Shopify platform, yeah. the third-party apps and things, the merchants, yeah, they now make more money than Shopify itself, yeah, from being on Shopify, yeah, and that's incredible if you think about it. Mm. But because they've done that, because Shopify have given away rather than do those apps themselves, they've given the opportunity for someone else to do it, and they've given them decent margin on it, and because of that, they have created this completely high defense platform for themselves same with apple same with android because there's such a big ecosystem there mm. it's very hard for other people now to come along with a competitor to yeah. the iStore and to the, the, the app, iStore the apple store you can tell i don't use apple <laughs> the, app store. Uh, the app store and the play store play store yeah. yeah um it's very hard for someone to come up with a competitor to that yeah so um have a think about where you can add value to your revenue stream. And just be innovative. If you're just doing a standard um, product or whatever it is, don't just think about selling it. Think about other ways that you can make money from it. We'll call it a there. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, Assalamu Alaikum.